Blog Talk Radio. at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I'm so happy to welcome the callers and chatters to Research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. Well, tonight's show is about the Census Department of the South. Now, during the closing days of the American Civil War, a little-remembered document, a census of the federal military districts, was created. And this document is entitled Census Department of the South. Now, this document proved to be an effective tool in augmenting genealogical research for Yvonne Emanuel. It was so effective that it led to the ultimate discovery of some unknown and formerly enslaved family members. Now, this show tonight will briefly review that discovery and how an unknown or, for that matter, little-used document can aid you in your research. Yvonne is a member of the East Texas Historical Association, and she is also a member of the Association of Professional Genealogists. Currently, she works with a team organizing a historic cemetery preservation society. She also enjoys speaking, teaching others how to conduct historical and genealogical research. So let me give just a warm welcome to Yvonne Emanuel to research at the National Archives and beyond. Welcome, Yvonne. Well, thank you, Bernice. Well, I'm excited because I want to know as much as I can about this Census. So when when you say the census is for the Department of the South, what specific areas are you referring to? In this specific census, the areas of Jacksonville, Fernandina were actually covered. The Department of the South covered a little bit larger area 
And as the Civil War progressed, there were different departments made across the South where they uh, used it as a governmental district to govern the different areas as they came under federal control. And Northeast Florida, Jacksonville, Fernandina, that area was included in this particular census. So are there other departments, or just tell us more about this particular census? Yes, there are other departments. Uh, as the uh, Union Army was successful in various areas of the South, as they came through, then in the conquered areas they would set up ver various uh, federal districts. This particular census that we're talking about today, though, is one that was ordered in the Federal District of the South, mainly because at the time it was ordered in 1864, that was the latest department that was being created. There's uh, several questions as to why it was originally created, but it seems to be to really get a uh, concept of who is currently in that department. There are a lot of uh, African Americans who were formerly enslaved, because of um, the war, they're moving from other areas, and they were also in that area, so they're trying to get a good look at not only African Americans, but also all population groups who have been displaced by the war. And as the war progresses into 1864, Florida is the place where a lot of people have moved to or run to ahead of the armies. Oh, that's interesting. So they ran there ahead of the army, like contrabands. Is that what you're saying? It, that not only contrabands, but non-enslaved peoples who uh, were in places where the uh, the country had been conquered, uh, Georgia, mm -hmm. uh, people who used to live in that area. They were looking for a safe haven from the war as well. So distance. Uh, mm -hmm takes in not only people who were formerly enslaved, but all persons who were in northeast Florida at that time. That is interesting. So um, so let's talk a little bit more about the department. So they created this department basically to to get a feel for this population. How many people were there? Was it to find out if they... Uh, Guess they were not registering them to vote. So tell us what, just tell us more about this census. Okay. Uh, the, the department itself is established to provide order in the, in the midst of chaos. It's a governmental entity, uh, kind of like a, a city or a federal government entity there to try to give some semblance of um, order in the midst of war. But this census actually is taken in this area, and they're not really sure why, but they think okay. that it might have been ordered because so many contraband or formerly enslaved persons have moved into this area ahead of the uh, conquering army. And also, during this period of time in 1864, Florida was a place where many of the battles were taking place as well. So it's kind of mm -hmm. one of the last areas where people could go to to kind of be safe, even though they're, they're still in the midst of a war. So there's a large population shift here. 
Now, sometimes when you're reading about this census, there's a sense that it might have been taken to see how many contrabands, formerly enslaved people, were there who might be able to assist the Union Army by joining the Army or Navy uh, to bring the Civil War to a conclusion. So there are a lot of different things that are going on here. You have populations uh, of all uh, types in, in flux. You have a lot of formerly enslaved people moving from areas where the war is still going on, and it's still going on in Florida, too. They're just everyone's trying to find a safe place. And then you have people who are just totally displaced in the area. But this census gives a, even though um, it's conducted in 1864, it gives a real snapshot of who is in northeast Florida at that time and where they came from. Because the census not only talks, not only uh, enumerates the contraband, it it, uh, enumerates free people as well. And, Bernice, actually, when you look at the censuses that are taken in the 19th century, this census contains more personal information about individuals than any other federal census taken in the 19th century. Oh, that's interesting. So tell us exactly what type of information we could find in this census. First of all, it asks if if the person is a formerly enslaved person or even if they're not a formerly enslaved person but happen to be African American, they ask them if they were enslaved and who their former owner was. It tries to give a description of the person uh, uh, as to as to uh, their in, their status, whether they were slave or free, it also uh, asks them how long they have been in that specific department. For that gives them an idea as to whether or not the person has lived there all their life, or if they're on the move because of the Civil War itself. Uh, it also enumerates owners, and it asks mm-hmm. the formerly person who their owners are. For people who are not formerly enslaved, it asks the same questions. What is your name? What is your age? How long have you been in this department? Because when you look at the population, whether it's an African-American population or, or any anyone else, they're trying to find out how many people are there, when did they get there, and where did they come from? And what the census ends up doing is forming a capsule picture that actually shows a large population flux of people of all types moving in advance of the war. And when I say in advance, in advance of the battles that are taking place. Florida at this time is one of the places where a lot of battles are taking place. Uh, the Union Army and Navy really had a foothold because they were able to come down the Atlantic coast, and that's why this northeast sector is so important because they have a foothold in Jacksonville and St. Augustine. They don't do too well in the interior at the Battle of Alusty that takes place during this time, but there is a a large population of everyone moving, and they're moving in, in advance of the armies or to get away from the armies, 
and really this section of Florida is one of the last places to go unless you go west. Wow. Well, look, did this census also gather information about the physical characteristics of the individual, or did they just give the age, the name, or the length of time in the area? No, they asked them for, um, they were asked to give their eye color and their complexion is sometimes noted. Also, it notes whether or not they were contraband or free. It also notes the last residence and their owner, and also if they were born free is noted as well. Now, what you have to remember is when this census is taken, the census is not a segregated census. It's not like African Americans here and non-African Americans here. It's just whoever they're coming across are listed on the page there. Now, one thing that does happen, and you can kind of tell, is you'll go through a page and you can tell that uh, that that particular page might have non-enslaved or non-formerly enslaved people on it because everyone says they were either born free or free. And then you'll find groupings of where they've come across groups of people who were formerly enslaved either on plantations or of course, they're moving in advance of the armies, too, so uh, large groups move together in, to flee from uh, the, the coming armies and the warfare that is taking place. Uh, one of the things that you notice also is if you're able to take and actually look at some of the groups, like I was able to look at this group, you're able to see that... Um, Although there are families that are together, people who were on the same plantations or who had some type of uh, relationship that might not have been a family relationship but maybe who had been close friends on the plantation, they tended to move together and uh, mm-hmm. because of the familiarity, because they knew each other, they tried to take care of each other. And so you see groups, for instance, um, you know, you hear in genealogy a lot of people referring to the fan club, family and friends. And sure. uh, when you look at these pages uh, sometimes, after you learn who the individuals are in the families, you can see that it's not just a family, but also other families who they've lived with in the past who are moving, especially with contrabands, that they seem to move in small groups, I guess for safety, that's a presumption on my part, but also for for familiarity as they move into their free status, they tend to move in small groups, and it's with people that they've been enslaved with before or people that they've known on other plantations as Uh they build these new Now, we are specifically looking at 1864. Am I correct? That is correct. Okay. And so when you compare, if you've had an opportunity to do this, what's on an 1864 census of the South and then look at 1870, are you seeing those people in the same place or are you seeing that they have moved? 
it depends on which group you look at. Some people have moved. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some people who are in the country have moved to the city by 1870. Uh, Some remain in the countryside, or or the families even split, uh, and some remove. uh, move to the city while the other part of the family stays in the countryside. For instance, one of the families I was looking at remained around an area called Pottsboro Creek in the Duval County area, while the remainder of the family seems to move, have moved into metropolitan Jacksonville. Well, not necessarily metropolitan, but into Jacksonville, the town itself, and into St. Augustine. I also find groups as I go through the pages. Um, there are there's a school in Florida called uh, that was built by former slaves called JRE, and it's I'm, I'm not real sure exactly where it where it is. It's in the Northeast Florida area, but you can see some of the people who ended up buying uh, building that school. You can see them as a group that they're that they're listed on an almost the same page, on at least two pages side by side, so that you know that they were close after the Civil War and apparently maintained closeness, even though they may not be a family group, after the Civil War and helped found some schools and churches as well. Mhm. Now there's a question, and uh, they want to know how do how can someone access uh, the Census Department of the South records? Actually, the the records are in a book, and it's a, the name of the book is the Census Department of the South, 1864, for Northeast Florida, which includes the cities of Jacksonville, Fernandina, and St. Augustine. The book is available for purchase at Heritage Books. Also, I accessed the book. After I found out about the book, I accessed it when I first went to um, um, uh, Salt Lake City at the Family History Library there because when I found the, the notice about it, I was looking for a family member, and I had been searching for him for a long, long time and could not find anything, and then suddenly... One time online he popped up on Family Search, and that was the footnote that he was shown in this book. And so I did not know, this is when I was had started earlier, and so I did not know how to access that book, but I did know based on that entry that it was in the Family History Library in Salt Lake City. So when they had an NGS conference there, I went to that conference and went to the Family History Library and saw it there. While I was there, I realized that it was put out by Heritage Books, and I found out that Heritage Books was usually at the NGS, National Genealogical Society, conferences. And so I actually contacted them and ordered that book from them several years ago. And I noticed uh, usually when I go to a conference, if they're there, I'll go by their books bookstore just to see what they have, and I noticed that uh, the last two times, both this year at NGS and uh, at another conference, that they did have at least one copy of that book still on their 
in what they brought to sell there at the conference. And uh, Family Tree Girl has put a link in the chat room because it is also on Amazon. Yes, yes. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you another little background about this uh, particular book. Uh, the reason that uh, the Florida Genealogical Society was involved in it was, first of all, it's a book that covers an area that they cover. They had uh, they had kind of found out about the book, but, excuse me, when they found out about it, it wasn't a book, it was just the census, but nobody knew where it was, and uh, a couple of their members were attending what was formerly known as the Institute for Genealogical Research in Washington, I think it's called Gen Gen Fed or something now. Right, Mm -hmm. mm-hmm. But uh, while they were there, they asked at the archives about whether or not this particular record was there, and the archives could not find it. They didn't have it, like, you know, bound or what have you. And so they kept saying what they thought should be available in the in this document. And um, my understanding is they looked for it the whole time they were there, and then right before they got ready to leave, it was found, like, just in a box, not in the book format. It was all these just leaflets of paper. And so the Florida Genealogical Society, along with the archives, transcribed these documents and put them in the order that you see in the book when you purchase it now. The first part of the book actually uh, talks about and tries to enumerate people uh, and talks about the contraband. The second part of the book enumerates everybody in the district, and there is also an index at the back of the book that shows the name of all slave owners that are identified in the book by the people who have been questioned uh, during their census questionnaire. So it provides you an index not only to the names of all the people in the book, but also to all of the uh, slave owners who are identified in the book, and then it gives you a, each page then gives you not only the individual's name, it gives you their age, whether they were free or contraband, and uh, if they were contraband or enslaved, it asks you for their former owner. It asks you for the date that they actually came into this department or if they've been there a long time, and then it asks you uh, for if they have had an oath of allegiance or and the number of rations that needs to be given. So there's a lot of things that take place with this one document because the oath of allegiance is being asked for those who were formerly um, fighting for the Confederacy Veterans, or who swore yeah. to the Confederacy. So that's that's checked on here too whether or not they gave an oath of allegiance. And then if when they're being enumerated, if the superintendent of contrabands feels like, or his uh, agents feel like the person is in need of medical care or additional rations, that is also indicated on this census that they've been given like one or two additional rations. And you see that especially for small children and for the elderly. And then it will say to the left, to the right of that why they're being given that ration. And generally the statement is, 
on the recommendation of the superintendent of contraband. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This sounds like a fascinating document, absolutely really- fascinating. I can imagine, I mean, when you saw it and all of this information, but I'm just wondering why haven't people found out about it or talked about it more because really you are kind of the first person that I've had on the show to actually talk about this this particular census. Well, I think they don't talk about it because um, they haven't used it. And quite frankly, I would have not known that this book existed had I not been looking for this one person in my family and I looked for them a long time, and this was back when I did a lot of online searching. And finally, one night, I put his name in just again after getting nothing several times, and it popped up with him being enumerated in this book in Florida, and the family search footnote gave the title of the book, and that was the only way that I knew that the book even existed. And I thought really when it said Census of the South that it was going to be like, you know, one of the census documents that we look out look at on the reels now. But it turned out right. to be an actual location they had actually uh found and and put together and we really have to give kudos to the Florida Genealogical Society because they worked really hard to get this into publication. Yes, indeed. Well, we're going to take a quick break and then come back, and I want you to tell us exactly how you use this record uh, in finding your ancestor and what kinds of information you were able to learn about your unknown relatives that you picked up out of this document. So just a quick break, and we'll be right back. Okay. Welcome back to Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, where I will have an expert to share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy and history questions. Remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn.com, and Stitcher.com. 
Well, you have been listening to Yvonne Emanuel share with us the census of the Department of the South. So take us to your journey of discovering this document and what did you learn about this document as it relates to your family research? Well, actually, this document really supported and backed up what I had heard about the family, but this was really the first written document that I came across that actually detailed anything about them. Um, I had guessed but did not know whether or not any of them had served in the Civil War. From family uh, lore, we knew that many of them had lived in Georgia and had migrated to um, Jacksonville and the northeast Florida area. And, in fact, once, once I got this document, and then went back to where they live in Jacksonville and then where they actually lived when they were enslaved, I realize now that uh, they really haven't moved 100 miles away because southeast Georgia uh, area was the area where the plantations were that they were normally held on. And then I realized that there were some areas that we traveled when I was much younger that um, I just didn't know because people uh, really didn't talk about what the area was or where people had been enslaved. We went to different uh, beaches and we went to different parts of Georgia, and now I know that the St. Simons area and down in the St. Mary's area back onto the northeast Florida coast that whole area, uh, and most of the my father's side of the family still lives in that area of Jacksonville, Fernandina, and northeast Florida, but that's primarily the area, specifically the Georgia area, where many of that part of the family were enslaved. So they, even though they spread out from that area, they still actually uh, didn't go very far and made a, a, a living and were able to develop institutions in that area as well. So when you looked at 1864, now you found the names of the plantation owners for your family members? Yes. And tell us more. What else did you find? Well, I was actually just looking for one person who was my great-grandfather, and I, I found him but I was amazed to find my great-great-grandfather and the woman that became my great-great-grandmother on uh, some separate pages as well. So I had no expectations of really even going back beyond my great-grandfather, so that was really uh, surprising there to find the great-great-grandfather as well. The other thing that came up that's not directly related to this, but that kind of came up... uh, because I was looking at other records as well, was the fact that uh, my great-great-grandfather and a person who turns out to be the youngest son uh, actually end up serving in uh, Company A of the 1st South Carolina Volunteers. They go down to St. Augustine, Florida, 
1862 and sign up for Company A of the 33rd Regiment, which is uh, the first South Carolina volunteers and the fight in the Civil War. The great-grandfather that I was looking for, he ends up being mentioned in a pension file of another brother who fought in the Navy, and in that statement he says that the owner took him with him to the Confederacy because his owner was uh, the commander of the Florida 8th Infantry, and when he so he was taken to the Confederacy with him. So the census, even though the census record uh, didn't give me specific information about him, his absence from the record really was the thing that, uh, and the fact that he appears mentioned in another Civil War pension file was the thing that let me know that he was not with the rest of the family during the Civil War. So when you look at these documents, especially this census, you can, and especially if you have a family group and the family group is cohesive and shown on the census record together, you can see who's, min, who's missing. Now, mm-hmm. one thing for African Americans when they look at this census record is there are some family groupings, but a lot of these groupings, when you first look at them, unless you just know it, you can't tell that it's a family because they have different names, and they but they've come together. They they know each other from somewhere, and they're together either in the same camp or the same little community, and uh, they they have a relationship. And a lot of times the relationship is that they were all on the same plantation and they left as groups. So uh, people who knew people when they were enslaved uh, tended to kind of stay together sometimes because they had a um, it, they, it was a community that they knew. They may start a new community, but it's with people that they know. Mhm, mhm. Now let me see if I understand you correctly. You said that some members, some family members, may have different surnames, but they're in the same groupings. Did I did I get that? Or are you just seeing people that knew each other were in the same groupings and kind of stayed with each other? People who who knew each other, like if you and I had been on the plantation together, even though we. Uh, had different names and were not related, we may not have mm-hmm. had any kinfolk around, but we might have moved to the same part of of a, of a new town because we were friends and we knew each other. Mm-hmm. We would support mm-hmm. each other that type of way. So there are communities of people who were formerly enslaved together. Now, that's not always what happened. Not whole plantations just picked up and say, okay, we're going to be a new community. Because some people did know, for instance, that they had relatives that had been sold or taken elsewhere. And so they looked, a lot of people looked for those relatives. Right. And and, and I can understand that. Right. I mean, uh-huh. that, that's a community. And, yes, you're going to look for those people. Now, how large is this book? It's about uh, 250 pages. It's an inch and a half oh. thick. Yeah. Mhm, mhm. Because others in the, in the room are saying they may they may consider ordering this book, but I'm just wondering since you said you found out about it on Family Search, would it be in the catalog on Family Search? 
It might. I, uh, I know that mm-hmm. it was. Uh, I know that it was uh, Heritage Books that when I when I look it up for purchase each time, that's the one place that comes up. Uh, but when you, um, it's it's not a it's not a heavy book. But it's about an about an inch inch and a quarter to inch and a half thick, and it's easy to carry. It's paperback. It's easy to carry. It has all the information about how the census was taken, and also how it's divided up. And it gives a little bit of history about Northeast Florida at that time. Uh, One of the things that that was uh, said about this particular census was that a lot of people at the time thought, or even historians have in retrospect guessed, that perhaps even though... Uh, enslaved people were not totally free yet, that Mm -hmm. uh, they were hoping perhaps to try to give them the vote early enough where it could have helped with the next election. So that's that's just one of the the suppositions that's outlined in the foreword of the book as well, uh, because people are not sure why it was taken, but the but the uh, the need for new for more bodies in the uh, army, the fact that a formerly enslaved population might be able to actually vote in the next election and and uh, influence the outcome, all those things uh, weighed heavily on both sides, both for those who were uh, in favor of freeing slaves. And those who weren't, because uh, it didn't matter what side of the coin you were on, the changes by a new population being introduced into the Americas that could actually influence the political arena is something that you have to think about. It certainly is. I I was also going to say that uh, the... the troops, the the United States troops that were in Florida... Uh, during the early part of 1864, they had some victories, but there were some times that um, they were suffering. And so it, it was a very real need for African Americans and, and, and others who wanted to enlist in the troops and help in Florida. Uh, they they were really looking forward to that because they thought that that would be, uh, bring a speedier into the Civil War at that time, but as it turned out, one of the major battles there, the Battle of Olusti, where they really could have turned the tide, it didn't go exactly as the Union forces had expected. So there was some delay, although they ultimately ended up uh, winning Florida. It took them a little bit longer than they had hoped. Mm-hmm. Well, you have a question out of the chat, and the question is, did that particular area uh, compromise the area covered by Sherman's Fill Order 15, you know, the small strip of land on the coast where the real 40 acres and a mule were proposed? Uh, yes. Uh, it. No, I'm sorry. It's northeast Florida. That's that Fill Order uh, 15 goes to um, along the coast of Georgia and South Carolina. South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, 
although you have the documentation in 1864, let's move a little further and see, did you see any of the same people in the Freedmen Bureau records, or did you look at the Freedmen Bureau records in that particular community? Right. I I did look at the Freedmen Bureau records, but they weren't shown in that particular Freedmen Bureau records. And this is one thing, and uh, the, the, the people at Low Country Africana mm-hmm. do an excellent job in this area because uh, if this is a great period of flux because we tend to think of people becoming free, going someplace, and then just settling that didn't happen for everybody. Some people went mm-hmm. several places. And so one of the things that I saw just recently at, at one of the conferences was uh, where they had taken the Freedmen's Bureau and done that digital map where you could see that, for instance, if you knew that your family member lived in Jacksonville or they lived maybe in somewhere along the coast of Georgia, there's a digital map now that shows you, like, the four Freedmen Bureau offices that they may have gone to instead of the one you think they went to. And that mm-hmm. was that was one of our recent uh, conferences. And that happens a lot because someone may live, like, in Jacksonville, but they may be looking for their family that they know was sold somewhere else. And so you're thinking that they're going to be showing up in the Freedmen's office in Jacksonville, when what they're doing is they may live there, but they're out looking along the coast for their family. So they may actually be at a freedman's office in Georgia asking questions. Right, and this is the map in the Freedmen's Bureau uh, site that Angela Walton Raji and Tony Carrier developed. So exactly, and excellent tool. Very helpful, is- extremely helpful site, yes. Yes. So, uh, because you know, it, when you when you're looking for a family member and you're doing it through the vantage point of uh, retrospective history, you don't always know that. Oh, when they went to town, they considered town not to be this town to the south, but that town to the north mm-hmm. that they went. And you're always looking in the wrong wrong place or the opposite direction in which they actually. Uh, lived or or even where they would choose to go for their business. So that map of the Freedmen's Bureau that showed exactly how many Freedmen's Bureau there were within a few miles of wherever your individual might have been living is an excellent tool. And also the, the the other thing this census does is even though it's really helpful when you look at the 1870 census because if you can't find them on 1870 and you think they were in this area, you can look at this census and see if they may have been there in 1864. And if they're not on the 1870, then you know they've kind of moved out of this area somewhere else where the family has gone to. So that gives you something to look at that's not – 10 years in the past. It's only like just six years in the past. So that That's you can right. actually. So it's really helpful in that term because you have something. Normally we can only look at people in 10 year increments unless we know that they actually were in a particular area and find documents on them. 
So to have something that gives you an idea of where they were in 1864 and then where they are in 1870 uh, is really helpful, really helpful. Well, you have you have three questions. The first oh. is, was this collection being taken by military officials or was this an effort of the Census Bureau? This is a military census. This is a mili- this is not a census bureau c- census. It's ordered by the commander of the military district and it's taken by military and civilian personnel, but it is not a United States census record. It's not the, like oh. the 10-year census. Mm-hmm. So did this census benefit the Confederates or the Union? This census was a when I say it's not a federal census, it's not a United States federal census, but the federal district of the South, the federal districts occur once a southern area has been conquered. And then they make a federal district to administer and maintain government, law and order in that particular area until the war is over. So this is a this is a, a census that benefited the Union and is conducted by the Union. Now, okay. a, lot of, a lot of people say, well, uh, what about non-union uh, places? Well, there are a lot of census were taken in 1864 in the South. The only thing I caution you to look at is most of the census outside of the ones, in this specific one taken by the Federal Military District, are taken by the southern states in the Confederacy, and the title of them, if you look at them very carefully, it says, for the rebuilding of the militia. For instance, Georgia mm-hmm. conducts 64 census, but it's to find out who else can we put into the Army. Mm-hmm. So, Civil War, yes. Now, one of the questions I did not ask you, but can you give us an idea of just how many people were identified in this census? Oh, my goodness. Um, the book is, uh, let's see, I don't have the book in front of me, but like I'm looking at one of the uh, spreadsheets that I made, and it's page number 219. And each page has approximately, let's see, twenty-five people on each page. That's one side. Okay. So back in front, it would be fifty people on a page. Okay, fifty people per page. Okay, so this is a, a a great resource. Yes, it is a very good resource, and uh, it it just, you know, I can't thank. I can't thank the Florida Genealogical Society enough. They had kind of heard about it, but uh, no one could find it. And so they knew when they had some people going up to the National Archives to ask to see if they could find it. And while they were there, it looked like they weren't going to find it, but they actually came across it. And then the Genealogical Society took over the job of transcribing it and actually getting it published. So this is a very very helpful tool 
uh, it specifically targets the cities of uh, northeast Florida, like Fernandina, uh, Jacksonville, Duval County, and uh, it just really provides a, a real snapshot at a time in history when the the community was really in great flux, but it actually captures what's going on. You see, you can actually um, see people moving, and you can feel their desperation. Whether they were enslaved or free, they're all caught in the middle of this turmoil of war, and everyone's trying to find a shelter. Now, if someone wanted to find this document and they didn't want to purchase the book, are those records still at the National Archives? I think I don't think that they're at the National Archives uh, in the manner that, like, other uh, census records are. My understanding is that they are in, like, for instance, I went to the National Archives, and I didn't specifically look for this, but every time I have seen this document, it's in book form. Okay. But that that someone somewhere has not put it on microfiche or or uh, some other format, but it is in every time I've seen it, it's been in book form. It's, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But those original documents are somewhere. Oh yeah, the original documents are at the National Archives, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Now the one thing about well, the National Archives, now I don't know if they've microfilmed this particular document. I've never seen it on microfilm, but. Uh, you know, the first time I went to the archives, not on the, these documents, I'm talking about some other documents, I was actually able to touch the 1863-64 documents in the files, but I've noticed the last few times that I've been to the one in Washington that you're not a, you have to look at them on microfilm or on a computer. They're not wanting to let you actually touch the actual documents anymore. So... Uh, I don't know if that's something that's just changing or if they're they're going to maintain those original paper documents or I don't know. Yes, well, that's that's something to to check out. Well, do you have any additional information you feel that we need to know about this census or even any other stories you'd like to share with us on how you use this document before we close out tonight? Well, I I would just encourage people to use whatever documents are available, and this one really helped me because once I understood what was going on with the census, I could understand why it was laid out in the way it was, and then it helped me to go back and look, and I was able to identify people whose names that I knew, but they're not necessarily shown. For instance, they're not necessarily shown with the uh, the husbands and wives are not necessarily shown just right together on the same page. It's almost like whoever came in line first, you know, it's just mm-hmm. like uh, you're not necessarily shown like when they do a census. Now they go to the house and they say, who lives here? It's, they're not shown like that. There are some family groupings, but you really have to look. And there is an index at the back of this book. There's an index for the owners, and there's an index, an every name index. So you might be on one page and think that you have the entire family, 
only to find out that the family is on four different pages. And I think that just really has to do with the manner in which the census was taken, that they were, in, as they encountered people, they took the information that they had, and they didn't necessarily have people in family groupings. Now, sometimes when you look at it, if you know about it, enough about your family history, you can see that it's a family group, but a lot of times it's not a family group. Okay. Well, you know, it's that's it's good to hear that so that individuals don't look on one page and then say, okay, they're not here at all. But as you're saying, you have to look at multiple pages to exactly. see that family. Exactly. Yes, right. Well, that's some, some good advice for uh, for all of us when we start looking at this particular record. Well, I want to just thank you so much for sharing this information with us tonight. I mean, it's just been exciting to hear about the Census Department of the South. For, for many people, it's new information. And if they are able to go to a family history center, maybe they may even have the document. I, at least I hope they will. Uh, many of us will be at the Allen County Public Library in July at the Midwest African American Genealogy Institute, and we certainly you know, feel that this will be a good resource for people to take a look at. So I just want to thank you so much for, for joining us tonight. And for everyone else, please remember your ancestors left footprints. And you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, and research at the National Archives and beyond. In fact, I think when I go to the National Archives next week, I'm going to ask about the census. Well, you can continue this discussion on the research at the National Archives and beyond and Afrogenia's Facebook pages. And also remember to listen to the African Roots Podcast with Angela Walton Raji on Friday and watch for the new 2019 Black Progen Live with host Nika Sewell Smith. Well, thank you so much for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. And I look forward to all of you joining me next week. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett. Good night, everybody. Good night, Yvonne. Good night, and thank you. You're welcome.